2: hey everyone welcome to fat mascara i'm jess i'm jen hi okay jen you did this interview this week tell us about who you spoke to yeah i will i'm very excited to welcome
1: krupa Kestline. she's the founder and chief formulator at kkt consultants which will tell you what they do but they basically formulate clean beauty products for many brands and she's worked as a cosmetic chemist and formulator for various brands over the years, including traditional brands. But she made the switch to formulating cleaner and greener, which she'll tell us about how that all came about. And so I know, like, you've heard Jess and I talk about, I'm not a fan of fear-mongering. Nope. Yeah, when it comes to clear clean beauty, I feel like it gets weaponized sometimes as like, if we're clean, you're toxic. Mm-hmm. Shots fired. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> <laughs> but my person who is like, the voice of reason has always been Krupa. I've interviewed her many times over the years. She's a great resource of mine because she formulates clean, but she talks about it in this way that doesn't make you feel bad if you're not ready to go there. But like, she's willing to really explain why she does what she does. And that's why I thought it'd be appropriate to have her on for like, it's a little Earth Month. I mean, every month should be
2: Earth Month, right? But- Yeah, but I think this is going to answer a lot of questions that people have, whether they say that or it's in the back of their mind. It's like- every brand talks about clean and green, but it's like, now, it's like, what does it mean? Yes. And, and to your point, I did reach out to
1: the fam and ask them for some of their questions for clean cosmetic chemists. So this is ask your cosmetic chemist, the clean quote marks edition, which I think should be Love really, that. yeah, really educational for everybody. And she's great. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into it. Krupa, hi. Welcome to Fat Mascara. How are you? I'm good, Jen. Thank you. This is this is so fun. I feel like I've interviewed you so many times over the years, and I don't know why I was waiting to bring you on and introduce you to the Fat Mascara family, because I know they have questions for you. In fact, after we learn a little bit about you, I do have some questions from our listeners, so I hope you're ready for that.
0: I am very ready, and I am so privileged to be here, and I cannot wait to get into it. I know, I know we've done this a lot of times over the years, but I'm ready to do this on air. I think it'll be fun.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you even more questions than I usually do. But first, just so people get to know you a little bit more, obviously you're a cosmetic chemist, but what is KKT Consultants? That's your company, right?
0: Yes. That's my consulting firm. What do you do? So we are a product development consulting firm with an in-house formulation lab. So it means that we help we help brands develop custom formulas. And also help them with several aspects of product development, like uh, defining ingredient policies or sourcing and developing new technologies, connecting them with the right contract manufacturers, product positioning, strategizing their portfolio, and a lot of different fun things, anything related to product, basically. But we really, we really excel in uh, coming up with innovation and new technologies in our in-house lab.
1: But what makes you different, I think, is also all clean, quote unquote clean, which we will talk about. Yes. But that's your niche, right? Absolutely. Yes, that's our niche.
0: Whenever we get into our background, I'll tell you how I got into clean. Tell me your background. Yes. How did you get into clean? Okay. So it's a very interesting journey. I've had a very interesting journey because originally I went to school for biotechnology and like biology, not necessarily chemistry. And I did not think that cosmetics was the career that I wanted to go after, but while I was pursuing my master's, I got an internship at Estee Lauder in their research and development lab, and that's how it, my entire career started. But then right after that, I started a position with this large multinational consumer goods company in their cosmetic sector as part of the technical assurance team. And one of my first projects was to switch over from shark-derived squalane To olives calling, right? And up until then, I had no idea that we were all using products that might
1: have things derived from sharks or who knows what else. And we had no idea. Yeah. What year was this about? Just so people have an idea when this was still prevalent, as prevalent.
0: 2009.
1: Okay. So not that long ago. Yeah.
0: Not that long ago. And me being a lifelong vegetarian... Growing up with like Ayurveda around me, this was a big eye-opener. And I started looking closer to other raw materials that I was using and discovering uh, questionable safety data on some of these materials. And I was just not happy sharing the gratis that I used to get from work with my family anymore. And it just didn't sit well with me. And I decided then that I really wanted to be a part of something that I can be proud of. And at that time, uh, uh, which is now called the clean sector, uh, there was no clean back then, right? It was coined now, but I decided to be a part of the natural and organic cosmetic
1: sector, which was quite big back Mm -hmm. then. I have to push you a little on this because I know you can handle it. This is where people get confused because you mentioned I was questioning some of the health data. No one's going to question you don't want to be killing sharks either. That's like an easy one. That's pretty obvious. But- as a broader thing, what does clean mean to you before we get into maybe some of those health concerns that might be, people might have about certain ingredients? Like, how do you define it these days? Because it's, it's not regulated, right?
0: Yeah, it's not regulated. And I get asked this question all the time that, like, you know, how do you define clean? Well, to me in an ideal world, clean should mean something that is safe for you and safe for the environment now as well as long term. But what happens is there's not most of these ingredients that we work with in cosmetics they don't there's not enough evidence to prove otherwise right so there's no there's no long-term safety data there's no long-term safety studies especially safety in use studies as well as ecotoxicity studies done to determine safety of some of these materials so to me i think an easier way an easier approach to clean is being transparent and coming out clean, Mm -hmm. just letting people know what you are all about as a brand and putting it all out there. Like, here's why we use certain things and here's why we don't.
1: And if there's no, none of this long-term data, is that because, A, companies don't want to pay for it or more that these are new ingredients that just haven't been around long enough to figure these things out?
0: There's multitude of things. There's all of those things too that you mentioned, right? They're expensive tests. They are not a requirement. So people don't usually want to do them. But at the same time, there's no test methods even approved. So like there's no Mm -hmm. one test that like somebody has evaluated and said, okay, you know what? If you perform this test, it will mean that you won't have any long-term issue. Especially now that we're like moving away from animal testing. It's so hard to approve a test method that is not that does not use animals and human trials that uh, will make sure that the, the some of these chemicals are going to be fine long term and same with ecotoxicity like it's very hard to come up with and nobody has come up with that one test method that will tell us okay this is
1: biodegradable for sure or this is mm-hmm. not ecotoxic and ecotoxicity just so people know what that means that means bad for the environment. That's the, not the health human concern side of it is one thing. And then that ecotoxicity is like, will this harm the environment in the long term?
2: Is that what exactly.
0: you're saying? Exactly. And environment can can be anything. Environment can be reefs, can be aquatic life, can be the soil. Ecotoxicity mm-hmm. can can mean envir- like everything around us in general, right? But yeah, it's, it's very hard to, to test for all of those things.
1: So if it's hard and there's not one test... If you're a layperson and you hear that all the scientists were reviewing data over in, the, in Europe and decided to add this new particular ingredient to their list of banned ingredients, perhaps it's a fragrance allergen. I don't know. Let's just, or an endo, it has some endocrine disrupting qualities, but we're not sure. So at an abundance of caution, let's take it off. If you're a consumer and you hear that happened in Europe and you see that there's products that still have it here in the U.S., what are you to think? So yes, I think I
0: think that it is very easy to conclude that maybe something was banned in the EU. It's still here, so things are not safe. You have to understand that the regulatory fra- framework uh, of EU and the US is very different, and when something when EU bans something out of abundance of caution, the US might not follow suit because the us in most most times takes a risk based approach right so even though we don't outright ban anything the government or the fda puts definite percentages or concentration levels on things that have serious health impacts so i think i think if you are somebody who agrees with what eu is doing and you you are an individual who doesn't want to expose your family to something that could be questionable Yes, I understand. I think you should follow EU standards, but it's not that straightforward in the US.
1: What about you? You said, "Oh, I you know, I got free products and I didn't want to give them to my family because I was worried." Which what were you worried about? Like what kinds of ingredients started you on this path towards moving towards clean formulation?
0: There were a lot of different things. Like back then, there were formaldehyde release uh, releasing preservation systems. So there was silica, but Silica is fine, but silica silicon dioxide, especially when you're working with it like in a lab or in the manufacturing environment, there are certain precautions that you need to take while working with it and If you know me, you'll know that I am i don't like that like that's not me I don't understand why we need to work with things
1: that we shouldn't be working with. So the, like if the chemists themselves are wearing like a full ventilation suit to formulate. Exactly, right? Like, okay. like if pregnant women
0: are not allowed to go anywhere near the facility when they're manufacturing certain things. I mean, come on. Those
1: are going to be on your, your personal no-no list.
0: Exactly. Like, I, I don't understand okay. why, right? Like why? Especially because, especially because if there's an alternate way to do things, why not? And maybe this is because I come from a third world country that I don't I don't understand the importance of having that just right consistency in a moisturizer that I need to use a microplastic for or something, you know?
1: Yeah. You're like, I can do this a better way. Yeah. So now after you know, some of those ingredients like I mean, there are still products that release formaldehyde that we don't know about because they might get combined with something else and that happens. But some of that's changed. But now here we are where even retailers have their own no-no lists. Some brands have a different no-no list. The EU has its banned ingredient list. How do you select which ingredients to use or not to use based on your clients' requests, based on some in-house KKT (laughs) no-no list? How do you decide?
0: Uh, We don't have an in-house no-no list, thankfully. Okay. (laughs) But what happens? So we have a very different approach to formulation. And what we do is before we take on a new client, we have a meeting with them and we really try to understand what their motivations are behind saying no to certain ingredients. So we help them really understand like, okay, let's, we know what the data says You know what you want to be as a brand and what you want to stand for. And let's together come up with a restricted substance list that makes sense for you and what you're trying to convey. So instead of like having brands just fit into a no-no list, like, oh, we want to fit into the Sephora no-no list or the Credo no-no list, right? We really push our brands to understand why. Like, why? Why are you mm. avoiding silicones? Do you even know why? And does it even make sense for you to avoid silicones? What is more important to you? Is, is environmental toxicity important? Or is uh, animal testing important? Or is, like, what's important? And then based on that conversation, we help
1: them understand what, what to avoid and what they can be okay with. I mean, that's super smart and in a perfect world. That's amazing. But I'm sure you recognize that lots of people want to sell their products in certain retailers. And they're like, Mm -hmm. I've heard this from founders off the record. They're like, yeah, I have no problem with silicone, but like so-and-so retailer doesn't allow it, so I'm taking it out. And then nobody ever takes the time to educate the consumer as to why that isn't. And then it perpetuates this weird cycle of people thinking things are demonized certain ingredients when – maybe that health concerns, maybe there's an environmental concern, but they never get to figure out why. Does that ever concern you? How much power the retailers have over the ingredient lists these days?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it should be that way. For sure. I think that brands should be the one deciding what they want to use and what they don't want to use. You know, I understand the retailer side of things too, where they want to it's it's very helpful for a consumer. Like I feel for the consumer who doesn't know to read the ingredient lists all day long and check and double check and triple check to make sure that they are not buying anything. Yeah, Kripple, we don't have time. We want you to do that for us. <laughs> right, right. And And so like just going to a retailer, you know that they've vetted everything and that it makes it very easy. So I understand why, like what the motivation's of those RSLs are for retailers, but at the same time, yes, it it does restrict brands. But then that is the whole like that. That's where we need more education, and that's where we need more collaboration, and that's where we need more dialogue on like okay, what makes sense here? And I've had that mm-hmm. before. I have had that before with where, clients, with clients and retailers. You know where like I've seen mm. retailers collaborate with brands and on and kind of meet in the middle because what we were trying to say made sense, you know? So it's not impossible. I think that it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity for a dialogue.
1: Are those lists always changing? Have you found that like a retailer or brand, I feel like sometimes I'd never check up afterwards after I see like, oh, here's their no-no list or their banned list. Will certain brands, once they're educated, maybe change their mind on some of those ingredients or would certain products or retailers based on having a conversation like that with you?
0: Yes, absolutely. The the RSLs uh, which nonolists are they're co- constantly changing, constantly
1: evolving because the data is evolving, the science is evolving. Is there an example? I know I don't want to get into every specific, but of an ingredient that was like 5 years ago on every RSL restricted use, I just call them nonolists. Yes. And <laughs> now it's like, oh, uh, it's not maybe not as bad as everybody thought it was. I don't know. Are there any ingredients like that that you can think of? that used to be on lists and they are not anymore? Or does it go the other way? Like <laughs> they weren't on a list and now they're on a list. I
0: don't know. I feel like there are there are quite a few categories like that. I remember a few years ago, Credo used to ban ethoxylates completely. And then now, because after I think realizing that it's so very hard for brands and for everybody to keep track of ethoxylated ingredients because they pop up everywhere. There's new ingredients all the time and suppliers are not going to be upfront with the information that you have to like dig and dig and dig and dig for days to even come close to finding out, okay, is this an ethoxylated ingredient or not? They've kind of backed up a little, you know, you know, backed away a little bit from completely Uh, Banning its oxalates, and they are now they have restrictions on the 1,4 dioxane levels and ethylene oxide levels and testing requirements and things like that in order to make sure that they can they support brands in formulating good products.
1: And that particular ingredient, like that's not something that would show up on an ingredient label. It's used to process particular ingredients, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what you're talking about. So even if your ingredient label doesn't show that particular chemical name you would have to go like back in MSDS sheets and whatever and trace down to the supplier to find out. When they were extracting, I don't know, give me an example. They were extracting this fragrance and they had to put the solvent in. I don't know, how does it work? Like how would that end up in an ingredient without realizing? So it's oxidated ingredients is basically anything that uses ethylene oxide, right? In processing.
0: So ethylene oxide is carcinogen. And because of that processing, also what happens is there's a residual 1,4-dioxane level that you don't want to be exposed to. So the reason why ethoxylates get the bad bad rep is because of the residuals, the residual EO and the residual 1,4-dioxane.
1: Tra- trace from when it was processed, exactly. not because a company like wanted to put it in. No. Trace levels, like parts per million, parts per billion, like
0: very, very, very small level. But continuous expo- exposure to these in, even if it's parts per billion can lead to something more in the future but mm-hmm. at the same time if you look at like the chemistry of ethoxylates ethoxylates were originally designed as the milder version of sulfates like milder version of like detergents so most ethoxylated surfactants were the answer to The harsher detergents that we don't use anymore. So, to be able to, like, for me to formulate a really amazing clean shampoo and conditioner without any ethoxylates is like, it's impossible right now because there's no other alternatives.
1: So, so it's like, I'll go back to the traditional surfactants people didn't want because then I'll win on the ethoxylate argument, but I lose on the surfactant argument. Exactly. And so you're constantly with your clients and with retailers making these adjustments to the way you formulate, it sounds like. Yeah. I know. So don't, but like, you could see why a consumer wishes, like, just give me the list and be done with it. <laughs> science doesn't work. Like, <laughs> doesn't work like that, does it? No, no. But I
0: mean, come on. I think, I think even RSL, like even the no-no lists nowadays are so complicated to follow. I don't know how, a, how a consumer how are they okay with just you know like oh yeah here here avoid all of these 15
1: categories of ingredients and <laughs> you're like wait you know i'm sure it's hard i don't know either i've taken i've taken I'm so horrible i'm just like i don't know i'll just not care about it at all because the minute you start to care then your brain explodes because well I'll take this but then I'm gonna go outside and stand behind a bus with like toxic things <laughs> spewing in, on my face. I had all this clean makeup on but like the bus just backfired on my face and it ruined everything. So like why do I you know what you can see why people get to that point where they're like I give up.
0: Yes no I totally understand but you know Jen what I've noticed in most consumers even my friends and everybody is like they're fine. They're, they're okay. They don't really care, like, whatever. They're trying to be, they try to shop at, like, a Credo and try to shop at Beauty Heroes. They're not going to make a thing out of it until,
1: until they get pregnant and they have a baby. And then they're like, wait, yeah. no. Or a particular health concern, you know, they've been diagnosed with something and all of a sudden they start rethinking everything they've done their whole life. Even if, you yeah. know, say they got an endocrine-related cancer that had nothing to, it might have had to do with cosmetics, but maybe had nothing to do. You question everything because we like to think there's a reason, right? Like for some of the bad things that happen. Yes,
0: absolutely right.
1: The thing where I do actually really have a lot of concerns is, of course, environmental. And I know a lot of that has to do with packaging. But a a reason I do try and talk to people like you and seek out some clean products is because I think they tend to be better for the environment. But I don't know if I'm right about that. Do beauty products that are considered clean tend to be in better for the environment because some brands do it more based on human health concerns, and for someone like me who's worried about environmental health concerns, if I shop at a Credo or clean at Sephora, you know, am I better for the environment? That's a great question, Jen. Of course, it's a fantastic question. It's a complicated one.
0: It's a very complicated one. Let's see. Compared to a product that you might get in, like let's say Walmart or wherever else, or a- drugstore versus credo i think yeah you're gonna find something that's better for the environment at credo but then again does it for sure doesn't not not harm the environment at all no that's not true is all clean beauty great for the environment no that's not true there's this debate right now where people are saying wait we've been going crazy for organic right There's like organic agriculture But if you really look into organic agriculture, it's not good for the environment. Certified organic is not good for the environment because you use more water, you use more resources, you use more land, you get less yield. You get all of those things for this one organic almond oil or whatever oil, right? And so this whole thing of clean beauty, it's so much more complicated. Like it's, it has so, like there's so many ingredients that have issues with environmental persistence and toxicity and you know and long term toxicity and even like there's ingredients that we that brands sell as biodegradable when biodegradable can mean biodegradable in 2 years or biodegradable in 10 years or biodegradable only in a certain ph range or it can mean whatever and do
1: all of these retailers keep a, keep a tab on those no they they can't they can't possibly It's like you have to pick your concern. Like if I'm like, no, because if I'm like water preservation is the most important to me, maybe based on where I live or whatever, like then you might not want an organic farm. But if, you know, heavy metals and soil is the concern that I'm most concerned about, then yes, I do want organic. Like there's no generic scorecard, is there? Unfortunately not. Okay, you need to work on that. I mean, I don't know <laughs> what data model that would be to like, you know, like they do your carbon footprint score, which, which it takes into account shipping and the weight of the products, but then maybe it didn't take into account the fertilizers used in whatever botanical. Yeah. So like, I get it. Also important to me and you, I know, is animal welfare. Yes. So let's talk about that a little bit. Just in general, are most of the clean formulas, do they can we consider those to be more animal friendly than traditional cosmetics? Most clean brands right now don't, not even not just clean,
0: actually, any brands that sell in the US, they, they don't test on animals. Most,
1: most brands have phased out of animal testing completely. Okay, so this is – my savvy listeners always are pointing out to me that they, before China changed its regulations, were like, listen, I know that you are animal safe. However, I know your parent company also sells in China where animal testing was required on all cosmetics for a while. What's going on there now? Like if you see a brand that's sold in China and also sold in the U.S. and you're very adamant about wanting to be – you know, pay attention to animal welfare – Can you feel okay about buying it? What's the state of regulations these days?
0: No, China lifted its ban on animal testing, exempt making uh, all general cosmetics exempt from animal testing, imported as well as domestically made, all cosmetics. But they have these two categories of cosmetics called general cosmetics and special cosmetics, right? So general cosmetics are basically all like shampoo, conditioner, all these like, normal cosmetics, but then special cosmetics are cosmetics that have a very specific claim, like a dandruff shampoo or an eczema balm or, you know, kind of like the the same way or sunscreens. A drug A drug claim. Exactly. Okay. The U.S. equivalent. Those are special cosmetics
1: and those are not exempt from animal testing yet. Okay. So here's where it gets tricky. Say this brand that you love sells their foundation with SPF in China. That means that that makeup had to be tested on an animal, right? Because it has a sunscreen claim.
0: Yes, 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 absolutely. But since, okay, so even animal testing is not straightforward because nothing is straightforward, right? So
2: even animal
0: testing is not straightforward. Like There are so many other nuances. Like, for example, we all know that EU banned animal testing, but then there's are you familiar with REACH? Like there's a there's a unit where it's called REACH, it's a it's an acronym for registration of new materials, like new chemicals. So whenever you have a newer chemical or new material, you send it to REACH for approval. Well, REACH, mm-hmm. one of the things that they do
1: is animal testing to approve the new chemical. Because this is something that's never before been used in cosmetics, so yeah. we kind of have to do yeah. that. Exactly. So, like, it's a new retinol alternative that we just invented. Yeah, and maybe it's even a cleaner version of a particular ingredient that Bacuchiol. Yeah, that had to be tested on an animal to even get on the cosmetics list. One to- and that would be a one-time testing, right? It's a one-time testing, and that's for the raw material. Not every finished product made with it. Yes, so it's only for the raw I'm material. I'm not trying to justify. I'm just trying to make sure people understand. Yeah, no, you're
0: absolutely, and and. It only happens in certain cases, but the point is that it could be one of the requirements. Like it, reach can determine whether animal testing is required or not, but it's all, it's, it's, a, it's still part of their protocol is what I'm saying. So it's contradictory. Mm. And then get this, Jen, because because you brought up animal testing. This, this is one of my things that I'm like, it's my pet peeves right now. The sexual lubricants. Mm-hmm. All sexual lubricants in the United States have to undergo animal testing in the United States. And is that because of how they are regulated? Are they regulated as medical devices? Okay. Yeah. So no matter what the lube, right? Even if it's just like coconut oil or like whatever, if you're calling it a sexual lube and selling it as sexual lube, that means it's a medical device and you have to do testing on animals.
1: Well, now, don't some brands get around this? I've talked to some of these companies, that play, and they call it a personal lubricant or a moisturizer yeah. so as not to imply that it would be used in the vagina, just on the vulva or whatever, yeah, which yeah. is a joke because, let's be honest, if you're putting it on your vulva, exactly. it's going to get inside of your body at some exactly. point. But that's their way around that, I imagine.
0: Yeah, that's their way around it until FDA comes back and then fines them for whatever, right? Because they it's not right to... Sell 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 a, a love
1: massage oil or I don't know whatever they call it right, and then <laughs> yeah. we all know it's a sexual lubricant. They'll if they want to continue to sell it, they would then have to do animal testing as if it were a vaccine or a drug or something like that.
0: Exactly.
1: Okay, so we need to petition the FDA to change Correct. that. Yes, please. All right, we're on it. Okay. We're mobilized. The fat okay. <laughs> mascara fam is because you can find. I guess you could look at, you as a chemist could look at the ingredients in a particular lubricant mm-hmm. and say, none of these are things that we should have concerns about that require an animal to be harmed in order to test them. I mean, true, like you said, coconut oil or whatever.
0: Yeah. And I think there should be more funding and more research into finding alternate methods for these tests. Like we have evolved so much from a tissue culture or like there's this ridiculous technologies available now so uh, why can't we move away from animal testing
1: for for things like that like grow some fake skin in the lab and put it on that yeah. instead of on this mouse i get it i would like to move into the portion of the interview where i actually ask some listeners to sh- to tell me their questions for you so I hope you don't mind. I do have a a couple specific questions. One that comes up all the time actually on on this show and people are just curious about is fragrance in skincare. I've even talked to founders who are like, I like fragrance in skincare, but you know, the internet does not. So Mm -hmm. I don't put fragrances in. Why? So this was the question. Why do some companies choose to, this is a loaded question, heavily fragrance products (laughs) for the face? I guess this particular listener... (laughs) (laughs) does not like fragrance in their skincare, but it is a good question. Why would you put fragrance in skincare or why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. So the simple answer is that when you make moisturizer, let's say I'm making a moisturizer. If the moisturizer has a particular smell, like a base note, I have to find a
1: way to cover up that smell. A lot of times, that's when fragrances... Explain the smell to me. What smell are you talking about? <laughs> came out of your lab. Before you dealt with any masking fragrances, what might it smell like? It can smell like detergent sometimes.
0: It can smell like okay. plastic. It can smell like
1: yogurt, depending on what it is. And these are even clean formulas that you yourself worked on, know everything that's in them, and it has this weird plasticky smell. Yes, absolutely. And consumer perception would be like, ew. Exactly. So I'm uh, pretty sure people
0: don't would you not put on something <laughs> <laughs> people would not use something that smells like sour cream or yogurt on their face every day, right? So I I have to put a fragrance in. Yeah. I wouldn't heavily fragrance it, but I would put enough <laughs> fragrance to to cover up that smell.
1: Yeah. And so that gets into the difference of, like, a masking fragrance or neutralizing fragrance Mm -hmm. rather than just, like, oh, it smelled completely neutral. And then we just decided to put a whole dose of perfume, which does happen as well. Like, you know, a lot of those French pharmacy brands have a heritage of, like, heavily fragranced skincare, I think. I don't mind it, but I know people do. Okay. Speaking of smell, Candice, I think, was the listener on this one. She asked why some products smell like, uh, quote, old plastic pool toys. (laughs) Thank you, Candace, for the visual the visual or the scent visual. What is she talking? What does that smell? I think I know what she means. Yes, the
0: fantastic question by Candace must say. But basically, a lot of times, most of these, most of these things, like most of these moisturizers or serums or or gels or whatever, are made from polymers. Polymers is the same as like plastic is a polymer, right? So I'm not very surprised to hear that products especially products that don't have that added fragrance the masking fragrance or the neutralizing fragrance then will end up smelling like pool toys because of the polymers
1: okay so if you're one of these people that's like i don't want fragrance because maybe i have an allergy or i don't even know what allergy i have i just don't want it you might have to deal with plastic pool toys yeah
0: unfortunately so
1: Okay, another listener, Anya, said she wants to talk about vitamin C. People are obsessed with vitamin C these days. She wanted to know what is your favorite form of vitamin C, and can you ever have too much vitamin C in a serum?
0: Mm -hmm. So my current favorite form of vitamin C is the 3-O-ethyl ascorbic acid, which is an etherified derivative of ascorbic acid, which means it it has an ethyl uh, group bound to the ascorbic acid, which makes it more stable. It also makes it soluble in oil and water both. So I love it because I can use it in very many different ways. I normally prefer personally to a concentration of around 5%, I think is enough. Like that's more than you need. But people have used up to 30%. Anything more than 30% is not recommended because it can cause more harm than good. So... I think between 20 to 30% if you really want a whole bunch of vitamin C.
1: That particular form that you said, though, you can't seek that out on an IL. Like it's not listed that way. I wouldn't know that it was that ester, right? Or is, does it have a special name on the ingredient label?
0: It is usually listed as ethyl ascorbic acid or even. It does have that, mm-hmm, yeah. Or even 3O oh, ethyl ascorbic acid most of the times on the ingredient list. Okay,
1: because I think the. What you see most often is probably ascorbic acid just by itself, right? Yes, and that means that that might not be as stabilized as the form that you are currently loving. Correct. Got it. Okay. Oh, she. Sorry, Anya. Follow up. Can you recommend your? What do you use a vitamin C? What do you use? I do use a vitamin C. I have. I'm using. Which one am I using right
0: now? Allies of Skin. They have a vitamin C. Mm, I've heard about. Mm-hmm. That's the one I'm using
1: right now. I also want to ask you about some of your other personal favorites, and I promise this doesn't mean we know you work with lots of clients. So I'm just going to tell all your clients and potential clients out there, this doesn't mean she doesn't use your product, but I do want to know some favorites of your beauty products and what you actually use. What do you like wash your face with these days? And by the way, you do mostly skincare formulation, correct?
0: I do skincare. We're also getting a lot into sexual wellness and hair care and baby care, body care, a lot of those categories as well. But skincare is my my favorite. I yeah. love skincare. So what, what cleansers do you like? So I am a fan of cleansing balms. I don't like to expose my skin to surfactants. So I don't use gel cleansers or any of those. But I I will use a cream cleanser, like a really creamy cleanser or which doesn't really suds, right? Those kinds of cleansers. And then cleansing balms. I love cleansing balms. Right now I'm using the one by Glow Recipe. It smells delicious. I think it's like a tropical like smell and I love it. That's the one I'm using right now.
1: Well, now I have to ask, you don't use surfactants. Is that because of the trace contamination we talked about or because <laughs> no. your, skin, your skin type, you don't like the drying or like why, why do you personally not use them?
0: I have very dry skin which is why I don't use surfactant-based products. It has nothing to do with trace amounts
1: of anything. It's just my skin doesn't like the drying surfactants. I I totally get it. What about for hair care? What are some hair care products that you use? For
0: hair care is uh, tricky because it depends on how I'm going to wear my hair is what I'll
1: use. (laughs) So... Of course. Of course. Yeah. Let's get into it.
0: (laughs) Let's see. I'm using InnerSense. I'm using a few like DS Labs products. I'm using Ranavat. What's DS Labs? Oh, Ranavat, I know, but what's DS Labs? That's a dermatologist brand and we are developing some new products for them. So we're just testing them out, but it's more like a clinical hair care brand. I use a lot of hair oils. I like to do like hair oiling before I wash. What's your oil of choice? I do coconut oil. That's like forever. It's classic. Great. So I use like the Kopari coconut oil the best because it's like not liquid. Uh, so it's very easy to put on.
1: Less mess with the oiling, yes.
0: Exactly.
1: But yeah, that's, that's what I do. What about any other moisturizers or skincare? You mentioned you have dry skin. Mm-hmm. What do you like to put on
0: so i like to use an oil-based moisturizer like a balm in the shower so this I, I did i've done this like forever now but what i do is i wash my face with a cleansing balm right and then when i get in the shower i'll put like after i'm done with everything i'm ready like almost ready to get out i'll put a balm on my face and then kind of just wipe off the rest with a towel when i get out and I use Blue Cocoon by May Lindstrom all the time because I love Blue Tansy. It's my like favorite, favorite product and favorite, favorite ingredient, and I love it. So that's the one I use. And then... Why do you love Blue Tansy so much?
1: Why? Yeah, what can Blue Tansy do for me? I don't do Blue Tansy.
0: Uh, Blue Tansy is amazing, and it is, it is a chamomile, so it's very relaxing and... I think I find it very intoxicating, the smell. I just
1: love it. So it's part experiential and then skin benefit-wise, I imagine. Does it have skin benefits as well? It does have skin benefits too, yes. It has
0: a bunch of really great terpenes. It has a lot of like relaxing characteristics. Like it has great antioxidants as well, but it 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 helps you calm down and relax. So kind of like a neuro ingredient, right? It also helps kind of the aroma therapy part, especially because I apply it in the hot shower. So
1: then my whole shower smells like it. So I, I love it. That's lovely. If you're a scent person, are you also like a perfume or candle person? No. Do you have any per- personal favorite? No, not, for, not not on that. Okay. Not. I, I'm not a perfume or candle
0: person. Like I, I feel like I was, I used to be, I used to love perfumes and candles and everything, but then I had a little one and And then he had, uh, he has eczema and he has like dermatitis, which flares up. So then
1: just for safety of like, I'm not, because sometimes you don't know what's in a particular fragrance and it could set someone's skin condition off. I get that. exactly. And lastly, before we do the Fat Mascara 5, which I'm not going to let you out of here without, that's our speed round. Any color cosmetics that you're into? Any mascara that you particularly love that you cannot live without?
0: I'm liking the Exa Mascara a lot. Exa. Exa? Exa by Credo. Did I pronounce okay. it wrong?
1: No, I don't know.
0: It's great. It stays on all day and stays on after the gym. I like it. I also want to make a special mention to this product that I've been using like crazy. Like I've finished three bottles now. It's Peach and Lily's Retinol for All. I don't know if anybody is into retinol or have tried retinol before, but I, I was somebody who had, like I, I had issues with retinol. Like I would try it and then because I have dry skin it would just mess it up, right? This particular product, like retinol is my new thing for sure. And my skin is just absolutely fantastic. No issues with dryness, no issues with with sensitivity, like nothing. And I I use it every day, like every single night. It's perfect.
1: Krupa, did you formulate it? Jen, we're, we're
0: on a podcast here. But call me later. <laughs>
1: okay. I was just like, well, it's okay if you didn't or did, but I'm like, obviously, if you had made it yourself, you would know how to make it ex- you know, exactly for your own skin. She has proprietary client knowledge that we cannot push her on. That's totally fine. I understand. But peach and lily retinol for all, good even for sensitive and dry skin. That's good to know. Yeah. I mean, it works
0: really well for me. So if you guys have any like, dry skin and you, you've you always had issues with retinol, then you should give this a try. It's a good one.
1: Okay. You might have already answered this, but I'm going to move into our little Fat Mascara 5 easy round of questions special for you. But like, what's the most underrated skincare ingredient to formulate with? Like one that you love, but you're like, why doesn't it get more love?
0: Astaxanthin. I mean, there's a whole list, but I think astaxanthin is one. Why? Tell us, why do we need astaxanthin in our life? So astaxanthin is this algae extract, right? It has ridiculously amazing antioxidant benefits. It has, there's also studies that they've done for sun protection, using astaxanthin. I was introduced to it by a a brand founder, like I think probably like seven years ago. And I've been using it ever since in like any which way I can find, like any time I get a chance, I'll use it because it is the best antioxidant. It knocks out like tocopherol and all of those things out of the park. It's like so perfect. And you don't even need much, like a tiny amount goes a long way. And it's, it's, it has a beautiful peachy color. It's great. I love that ingredient.
1: Amazing. Okay, you heard it here first. What's what's overrated? Like that everybody seems to want and you're like, "Why?" for skincare ingredient.
0: People are going to get pissed off about this answer, but whatever. <laughs> I think vitamin C is I think is a little bit overrated.
1: It's you saw that was like one of the first questions people had for you is about vitamin C. Why yes. is that why is it overrated?
0: Because there's other options. Like you don't only have vitamin C that's going to like this do it all ingredient that that you all you need is vitamin C. Like, no, (laughs) like
1: there's other options, you know? Okay. But vitamin C is both an antioxidant, like you said, right? But it's Uh also this in certain forms, a brightener. Yeah. Are you saying there's better ingredients for each of those things separately? What do you like for a brightening ingredient?
0: Niacinamide is fantastic. And it's not unstable. Like, vitamin C is unstable. Like,
1: who knows if your bottle is going to even do the same thing in two months? I'm telling you, this is a this is a naming thing. Vitamin C seems easy to understand. We all took, like, a little Flintstone vitamin when we were little. It makes sense to people. You try and sell them on astaxanthin and niacinamide <laughs> when vitamin just— to, You know what I mean? Like, in a marketing yes. point of view, it's easy to Google— I we agree. need to do a rebrand on these other two ingredients. We could call it vitamin N. If they had just called, right, like vitamin B is panthenol, right? Same mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Should we start calling niacinamide vitamin N or something? Should we like do a rebrand? Yeah, it's B, B3 we'll actually. Niacinamide is, niacinamide is a vitamin. Oh, it is a B vitamin. It's B3, oh, yeah. so there is science behind it. <laughs> it's it's B3. My, I'm like, you know, panthenol, they just call it vitamin B. but it Oh, so it is a, it is a vitamin <laughs> B type of vitamin B. Okay, fine. My, my plan's not going to work, but okay vitamin C overrated. All right, so I know you're vegetarian. I'm a weekday vegetarian, my stepson's vegetarian. Yes. What is the best vegetarian dinner dish? I love to cook. I know, this is why
0: I'm asking you. And one of the one of my favorites right now that I keep going back to is kimchi ramen. I love okay. kimchi ramen. It is the best and so easy to make and perfect and fantastic for a vegetarian dinner dish.
1: Is miso the base of your soup? No. So basically you like saute kimchi,
0: like saute it really good so that all the vinegar goes out and then you add your okay. broth. So your broth is like kimchi. You don't have you don't need
1: miso. And then you add like a little bit of gochujang and then So when you're adding your broth is it just water to the sauteed kimchi or no, you'll use a I vegetable use bouillon? Broth? Like better than Yeah, better than whatever bouillon vegetable like mm mm-hmm. Mhm. But the kimchi gives it the flavor. The kimchi gives it the flavor. It's so delicious. And a cabbage kimchi, I'm imagining. Yeah. Cabbage. like Yeah. A, oh, All right. I'm going to try that. I'm yeah. I'm going to try that. But you have to cook the kimchi really well. Yes. I do like sour. So, But I will cook it well. I will try that tonight. Okay. Favorite indulgent snack.
0: Yeah. I had to give this a little bit of thought. Um, but I think that barbecue chips are my, are the death of me. Oh. I, I can't
1: stop eating barbecue
0: chips horrible.
1: Is there a particular brand? Uh, all brands are
0: fine. As long as they're barbecue chips, I'll, I'll, I'll eat them. Got it. <laughs> so,
1: Okay. And last question, how do you unwind at the end of the day?
0: Usually with like one really amazing glass of wine.
1: Okay. And what is amazing to you? Is there a particular grape, a particular varietal?
0: Not really. No, I'll have anything. Any Just red the good stuff. Is fine. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not a snob. Okay. Not a wine snob. Uh, I don't have anything.
1: I don't know. You just gave me your kimchi broth recipe. So I was like, maybe she's like, I need this burgundy <laughs> no. aged 30 years no. or whatever it is. I don't know. No, no, no. Okay. Good glass all. of red wine. And then you can unwind and get your beauty sleep. I love that. Sounds like me too. Krupa, this was so informative. I'm sure our listeners are going to love this episode. Thank you so much for coming on Fat Mascara. Of
0: course. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun
1: we hope you enjoyed the show it's your reviews and feedback that help us make the podcast even better head over to itunes to rate and review us or email your thoughts to info at fatmascara.com.
2: we also want to answer your beauty questions and hear what products you love ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
0: Hey, I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, Wisdom from the Top, I talk with CEOs and business leaders about the toughest challenges of their careers.
2: There's lots of ways to measure success. Sometimes a company has to bet against itself.
0: We wanted to set ourselves apart by having a point of view businesses really impact people's lives in pretty
2: fundamental ways.
0: On Wisdom from the Top, some of the greatest business leaders of our time share their intimate stories of leadership, innovation, and transformation. Stories you won't hear anywhere else. Check out Wisdom from the Top only on Luminary. Now, back to your show.
2: ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com